growth requires more than capital. Why do we call it the cheat code? Nobody said growth had to be fair. Revenue solves everything. Welcome to the cheat code. What was our fastest path to revenue? We tend to like to do things the hard way. What's the cheat code? It's giving yourself an unfair advantage over the others. What is it that really works and how are we going to grow these organizations? That's our cheat code. All right, guys, you are back on the Cheat Code. We've got another great guest lined up today. Uh, we're joined by John Hendry Shirk, and I'll be referring to him as JH throughout this conversation. So now you know the full name. Um, he's the founder and CEO over at Growth Plays, which I think is a, an agency. How do you guys describe yourself, agency or consultancy? You know, I go back and forth on the two. I'd say we're a, maybe, yeah, it's, you know, well, it depends on who I'm talking to, but uh I'd say we're a B2B consultancy that focuses on content strategy and SEO for uh, B2B businesses and developer platforms. Yeah, we, we argued with the agency consultancy thing for a solid 12 years. So I, I never <laughs> like to make an assumption. But you know, in terms of SEO, you know, content and just getting found out there in the internet today, um, really relevant conversation that we have with you know a ton of our portcos, businesses as we evaluate them. So uh, happy to have you with us today and, and probably sit, shed some light on a uh, space that's always moving, uh, always evolving, and, and certainly kind of get your take on how you've been able to succeed in that, um, that never-ending landscape of change. So, JH, welcome to, the, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Excited to be here. Glad to uh, be one of the guests in the early days. So, yeah, give us a little bit of background, maybe just even how you chose to get into the space uh, and, and just some color and context there, and then we could dive in a little bit deeper. Yeah. Um, so got out of college during the global financial crisis and, uh, Great time. Could, yeah, it was a wonder, it was an amazing time to be a job seeker. Loved it. I, I, I was not, I was nine 11. Similar. Yeah. Similar. Uh, but yeah, so I was working in PR. I got a job at Edelman as an intern, which is a real large PR firm. And, I was looking, I knew my days at Edelman were numbered. I was like doing media analysis on Xbox. It was not exactly like uh, very brainy work. I was mainly looking for like, did they say something positive about Xbox in this mention in People magazine? But um, all of the job postings that I saw at the time, they were related to search. And if you looked on like anything, it was just like, it was clear that search is what was hiring. So what I did is I got together a, I didn't know what ABM was at the time, but I got together a target account list of every SEO agency in uh, in the Chicago area. I started, I worked on a, I uh, did not start, I worked on a music website with another guy in college and we ranked for some terms, sold some ringtones through it and whatnot, like very early days of SEO. I knew though that there was something that, there was money to be made in Google and that was going to be a good career for the, for because it was just like how people navigated the world was through the internet and the way that you navigated the internet was through Google at that time. That was like the central focus of the internet. So I uh, put together a cold email template about how I was willing to work for free. And I landed a job as an intern at a small agency in Chicago. And they didn't let me like touch customer accounts for months. I was like working on like very fluffy directory sites. Fluffy is not the word I would use if we were not in a podcast setting, but I worked on some sites that were not the best, but I, I got trained up and I started working with local businesses. And then from there, went to um, some some other agencies, uh, moved to San Francisco, kind of around the time where cloud and mobile started taking off. And from there, it was just like, it was just wildfire. Like everyone wanted search. Everyone wanted to figure out how to use search to grow faster. And there was a lot of budget to spend on content and growth. 
And uh, from there, I went in-house. I was an early marketer at WP Engine and uh, Zenefits and Docsend. And then I started this agency once I realized, like, you know, to be honest, like operating in-house is kind of tough. And search is one of those channels that's a little bit wonky. I actually think it's it kind of behooved you to be an outside party and have some authority outside of the organization because trying to make search work within an organization that has like rules against like tight feedback loops and how it's willing to invest in a channel, it can be kind of tough to make that work in-house. I did have some success at Docsend. We had a lot of great SEO wins there, but, um, and at WP Engine. Zenefits, uh, not so much, but um, with a uh, longer story. But um, yeah, I was going to say there has to be a story there. Yeah, it was a wild 90 days. But um, the thing is that I learned in all of those companies was there's like a certain amount of trust that needs to happen in the channel that can be tough when you are a pretty junior in the organization. So opened up this agency and really created, and also just to be totally honest, like I didn't have a process and a system that I could really take and be like, hey, this is what success looks like. This is what we need to be shooting for. This is our long-term plan. This is how much budget it's going to take. And after, uh, you know, figuring it out kind of in-house, I took my show on the road, started this company down in LA and really put together something that I'd say if I was a founder or if I was um, a marketing leader inside of a later stage company, it's what I would want to buy in terms of what could be needed to uh, really figure out the channel and invest in for the long term. Yeah. So JH, you're talking a little bit about, you know, taking your show on the road and working directly with founders and things like that. What stage of company did you find that what you were offering was the right fit? Um, that's a great question. Cause early on, like when you're really small and unproven, you're also going to be working with like small and unproven businesses. And I think early on, I worked with some pretty early stage companies and then I was kind of hitting my head against the wall being like, why won't this work? Why is this tougher? And then I realized like, Oh, you kind of need some other stuff going to have search work for a business today. Like when I got into search, you could create growth in a silo. Like it was just like push out the articles, make the links happen, start getting the traffic, start converting those visitors. And also like there was just a lot more, it was much easier to capture demand, uh, say like eight or nine years ago online and things have gotten way tougher. So for us, you know, I really look for businesses that are going to be successful, whether they do search or not. Like, that's really like my litmus test, because like, I think it's really an extent like the way that I view search is like it's an extension of or it allows you to amplify like your messaging and your positioning and your beliefs. And and it really lets you like use content as a platform to talk about your product and how it solves problems. But if you don't have anything bigger to say and if you don't really have something to stand for and if your positioning is not great and not really hammered out and battle tested the idea that you're just gonna like rip revenue out of search is a fallacy like you need to have those other things figured out and if people don't want to spend time with you online or in the real world they're probably not going to want to come and like visit your site through search and learn from you either like you need to have more of your go to market mar go to market motion and brand figured out today to have search work than you did say five or ten years ago so for us, it's not really so much like a maturity stage, but it's really like how evolved is like your messaging and positioning and do people want to spend time with you online? Like having that, like seeing a, when you publish something, like does social just take off? Do people amplify what you have to say? Or are you just kind of like screaming into the void? Because if you're screaming into the void, like you're probably just going to be publishing into the void too if we tried to do search together. So I'm really trying to figure out those folks that like have something to say where they can use search to amplify that versus people who just like want to do the channel execute on best practices and like hope that leads come in the door that way. 
I think that's kind of a playbook of five or 10 years ago. No, exactly. I could see you running up against a bunch of founders saying, hey, why aren't I on the first page of Google and just like pounding their fist on a desk and you banging your head against the wall for any number amount of time if you don't really have those criteria ironed out. Yeah, I'd say more it's just, you know, not renewing or not paying invoices is more likely than the screaming. Like San Francisco texting is like very, uh, it's been very chill. No, I don't think anyone's ever screamed at me before. But um, I will say like early on, I definitely worked with some businesses that just like when you tried to have them explain the product, they were like, it does that. I was like, oh, this is not, I don't even know how to capture this. Like, what are we doing here? And uh, if that's ever, if like you're scratching your head at the rest of the go to market, the idea that like you can make search work in a silo is just, it's nuts. And I think there's this, this idea of like, oh, you should just start, you should start doing search as soon as possible. Like you should start doing content as soon as possible. Like I, and that's generally by people who like waited a while and had the channel work and they're like, oh, I wish I had this channel earlier, but like, would that channel have worked earlier if you started it earlier? Isn't really a question that gets answered. Like lots of leaders say like, oh, we should have done content earlier. We should have done SEO earlier with the idea that it would work for them exactly as it worked when they started at a later stage. So it's like, if no one knows your brand and also if you can't go to a trade show and take a random, like, you know, when people walk up to the booth, like, what do you, what do you do? If you can't turn the what do you do's into people that want to have a meeting with you, um, you're not going to make search work. Like you need to be able to convert a cold visitor at a trade show before like search is really going to make sense. Because how are you going to, the idea that you can like test messaging positioning through content is, not, is it's something that gets bandied around on the podcast circuit a little bit. I don't agree with it. Search has a really long feedback loop compared to like paid ads where you can test things pretty quickly. With search, you need to be investing for it for the long term and you need to know that your positioning is the right positioning to amplify and put dollars behind because it's going to be there for the long term and you're not going to be able to tweak and test it uh, very, very quickly and then figure out the right move for you. It's going to take a long feedback loop. Yeah. So that's what I think is is interesting about your space in particular. You know, Josh and I have been in the, the consultancy space for a long time and to some degree, because we focus on go to market in general. There was a, there was less of a, a mutual fit equation that went into accepting a new client, right? It seems like because of that, and and what I'm really looking for is like, what is that, that mad? I know you mentioned like the ability to articulate a solution, the ability to you know convert that into a conversation and so on. How do you evaluate that early in that sales process and really understand like, is this a business that I can truly help? Because search has become so ubiquitous, everyone says you know, I need to rank higher on, on Google for my criteria and so on. Yet it's so, it's viewed as such a tactic. You know, I need to turn this off. I need to turn it on. You know, how do you evaluate that? And how do you really understand if it's an organization that you can help? Ooh, that's a great, that's a good question. Um, well, when I really try and figure out like, what are content creators in the business doing today and what's working and like, are they executing on search right now already? And if they are, like, how is that working? Is that working well? Because if it's just a matter of, like, tweaking uh, some workflows for a team that's already in place, that's not too tough. Like, I would so much rather work with real subject matter experts who deeply understand their customer in the space and the product that they're selling than, like, trying to make some generalist writer uh, be, like, an expert in procurement or an expert in B2B payments. Like, that's that's not going to happen. It's like... um. I don't know what your opinion is on like uh, outbound sales as a service, but I saw that Saster poll of like, like 80% of companies have not gotten outbound SDRs to work that are outsourced. 
And it's kind of similar, like, there is a space for freelance writers. I think, like, the editorial engine, though, needs to be in-house. So it's like, if you have an editorial leader, if you have a good story, if you have a sales deck that gets people excited, we can turn that into a content strategy. It's really about, like, if it's just, like, if it's just a hope and a dream right now, though, and we're just, like, looking for a go-to-market channel where we can get revenue from, that's usually the wrong fit, at least for us. Like, I'm sure there's some vendors who can work with those companies who can like do some SEO best practices and spin up some pages or whatever. But when it comes to like really translating what is like our mission, vision, and strategy into a content strategy that aligns to the buyer journey, like that buyer journey already needs to be figured out by sales. It needs to be figured out by product marketing. So I'd say what we're really trying to do is like translate some other parts of the org into an SEO strategy versus just like doing SEO. I think anyone can kind of do like SEO is not that complicated. It's about like answering people's questions, being comprehensive, running a clean site, promoting your content. That's not rocket science. I think what's hard is translating like complex products and business needs into a cohesive content strategy that people can execute against. And if you can get the right players on board or you have the right people on board already who are willing to write that content, we can absolutely work with you. But I'd say it's more of just like uh, we need revenue and we know search is like a high uh, like a like a high ROI channel. That's usually where the incentives are like a little bit misaligned because there's just the space is so saturated. Right? Like every company wants to do content and like the idea of like every company is a media company. Like we're doing a podcast right now. Um, we're going up against a lot of other podcasts. Like why what it like? Why do you win? It's the same. And I think like when you talk to founders about that. And you talk about like, why does your product win and like, what makes it different? And then explain like, you need to have the exact same mindset with content. And if your content is not like uniquely differentiated and something that like people are willing to put down other things to spend more time with you, whether that's competitors content or Netflix or the Wall Street Journal or whatever it is that they're spending their time reading, uh, then you're not going to win. Like you need something that has a defensible strategy where you're demanding people's attention. And if you're not willing to invest in that and you just like want a vendor to do SEO for you you're likely not going to be that successful because you need to have something like bigger than the channel for people to really want to engage with it. The channel is just like a form of distribution. The content is actually like the message itself. So, you know, you're talking to guys who, who lived in an adjacent space. So I'm wondering, everything you said makes sense to us, right? But it also sounds hard, right? And if I'm sitting on the other side of it, I'm like, shit, man, this sounds like work. Right. Even, even though I'm outsourcing, I, I've got to go write something. Yeah. Right. Like everything you're saying sounds hard. And you know, the, the name of the show is the cheat code for a reason. So how do you distill all that down into something that makes it feel like you're offering that person a cheat? Like, how did you use it to grow your business? How are you using it to grow others business? Like what's the, what is the cheat for that person on the other side to distill that down into something very simple or at least achievable. Right. Yeah. I hear Hear you on that. I mean, I'll like just to go back to it though. Like, I think every company we're working with is trying to have billion dollar outcomes, and I don't think anyone ever thought like making a billion dollars is going to be easy. And like, we can definitely have some cheat codes, like a little, like we are a little game genie that you can plug into your go to market and then just kind of beat the game. Uh, that's how I'm going to start framing it from now on. But um, like this stuff is really hard. Like I don't, and it's like so is outbound sales. Like actually selling and like closing large accounts, like that is all hard. Every part of go to market is hard. So I say, like, I definitely do not try and tell customers, like, oh, this is going to be easy. You work with us and just stuff's on autopilot. It's like, no, it's like you're trying to build something that is going to 
harvest attention and create value for the long term. It's going to be very tough. But I'd say the real advantage or like the real cheat code that I think and where I think all this, like the channel of SEO and content is moving is towards audience development and building an audience over time. Because I think with search, it's pretty transactional. It's like, I've got a problem. I'm going to search for it. I need a template. I'm going to search for it. You don't really think of yourself as like, I'm now going to subscribe to this business for the long term. And like, I'm going to take on their messaging and receive their emails and like be a part of this, like whether it's community or uh, just like a large like audience that gets broadcasted to. I don't think many people think about signing up for that. So I think with your content, there needs to be a reason for more, like why you'd want to engage with someone beyond just getting an answer to the question that you have at the time you access the page through search. But I think building up that audience over time and not just through like demand gen flows of just like sending them nurture sequences and then being like, are you ready for a demo? But stuff that gets people like excited and want like uh, when I think of who did audience really well um, and not community, those two are different. We can talk about that in a bit. Um, drift in the in like the the prime drift years when they had like their conference and I'd go to like a trade show or, and I'd see like they had merch that was like specific to the trade show. And it was like actually pretty high quality. And then if you were on LinkedIn, like you couldn't not see them in the LinkedIn comments for whatever Dave Gerhardt would post would just be like just like a like a full crowd of people t commenting about the idea and going back and forth on it. And I think like that's and they also layered SEO into that. Like Drift has done some pretty good SEO that you can see. But I think like getting everything to feed this audience versus like trying to make SEO work. Like let's get the SEO visits over to the list and then we can send people whatever information we want. Like SEO is performance content. Same with like LinkedIn posts, same with AdWords ads. You have to structure your content so it works for the channel. And that comes with some sacrifices. You have to be like, okay, this needs to be a really comprehensive article. It needs to be longer. It needs to include these ideas or it needs to get a certain level of engagement from a generalist audience in order for it to like do really well on LinkedIn. But once you have an audience, you have a direct connection with them and you can send them whatever you want without worrying about algorithmic filters and feeds. That's when you can really start building up stuff over time. And I think one of the um, issues with SEO is when I got into it 10 years ago, you could like hit up a site and be like, hey, we wrote this amazing guide on warming up an email and like getting your IP going great. And, or I, I know very little about email deliverability, but like, let's just say we wrote an ebook about that. Um, people would be like, oh my goodness, this is such an amazing guide. I, I would love to feature it in my resources section. I'm going to email this out to all of my followers. Like, this is great. Like, thank you so much for sharing it with me. And now it's like, you're blocked instantly. Like, please never send me promotional information again. I uh, have like a little affiliate site that we run with a buddy. We get tons of emails from people being like, would you feature our guide? Or like, we'll write for you for free. It's just like the the internet isn't so naive anymore. And people understand why it is you're promoting what it is. They know what your end goal is. So this idea that you can kind of just like hit up 100 sites and like get links and get coverage and get distribution, that's becoming more and more finite. I think like a lot of what people share and how people share is moved to social feeds, which like doesn't have um, with commentary which doesn't have any impact on SEO or it's not, it's not like getting links from other sites. So it's like using your audience to amplify your content, to amplify your messaging, to spread that for you. Like that becomes a whole nother distribution channel for you outside of the channels like search and PPC and, and uh, you know, con content syndication or whatnot. Like I think an audience, if you develop that over time, really does a lot of the heavy lifting for you. And it also provides like constant social proof. Like when you see some marketing leader that you really respect share 
you know, Drift's guide to running a chat team or whatever, it's like, oh, if he shares it, then I or she shares it, I guess like they are legit. Like it's just when the influential people in your tight space start sharing things from a brand and saying like, this is how you should operate. This is how I operate. I co-sign off this. That does a lot for getting that, getting it out there. It's not just like a brand talking about how good they are. It's like, oh, I follow them. I trust them. You should trust them too. So I think there's sort of a, like a social proof and like a, like a one-to-one spread when like someone kind of like a smaller influencer has some respect, shares it, it keeps going on its own. It has this like ripple effect over time. So I think with search, with content, with really any type of owned media that you're doing, the real goal, because like, I'm not just going to buy stuff. Like if I go on a demo now, it's like, it's because I know I'm going to buy it. Like I'm not just going to give over my email instantly and then get into a demand gen flow and then give you like, hey, you ready for 30 minutes on my calendar? Like I get a lot of those emails already. I ignore all of them. The only demos I go on now are demos where I'm 95% certain I'm going to buy and I've already narrowed down my decision. I've read reviews. I've talked to peers. I've checked with communities that I belong to online. I'm like, okay, this is the right decision for me. I think I'm ready to move forward. Maybe two different vendors, but I'm not trying to get into like an eight vendor bake off and getting like presentations and debt. Like every, every sales rep wants like 10 hours for a deal cycle. Now it's just not, it's not going to happen. So I think that building that audience and having that retained value over time also helps for when it is time to buy, they trust you more than anyone else. And they just want to keep spending more time with you versus being like, like, I can't imagine, um, like if you were very deep into the drift world and you loved everything that they were posting and you followed them online and subscribed to their webinars and their newsletters that you would then like go get intercom or whoever they were competing with heavily. Like it just, it just doesn't seem logical to me that you'd be like, well, I, I totally resonate with like this company's messaging and what they're doing, but like, we're going to go for the other product just because whatever reason has like one feature that I want that, that they don't have. Like, I just feel like it builds a lot of trust and loyalty for the long term. So I think rather than being like transactional with content and just being like, oh, we're going to get these pages out that rank for, you know, what is lead generation or what is B2B sales, which is like super top of funnel, probably not that many high intent visitors are searching for stuff like that. Um, really building something over time that captures those broad visits, filters down for the folks that can actually buy and then retains them for the long term, keeps feeding them that content that isn't the what is B2B sales, but is more like the great phrase that I heard recently, barbecue content, which is like, if you had five people in your industry around at a barbecue, what would you all be talking about on a Sunday? Like if you were just like all hanging out and you were talking about the hot stuff in the industry, whether that's like, you know, third party cookies dying and personalization becoming harder and harder or whatever it is, but like the stuff that's actually top of mind for folks in the industry that they want to talk about that has nothing to do with search keywords or whatever, but it's just like the authentic real uh, focus right now for folks in the space, that's when you can start sending to people that is not going to have a lot of search volume, but may get a lot of distribution once it's emailed out because it's not what people know to search for, but it is what people are thinking about. Like that barbecue content, I think is, is really what you can start focusing on and getting that to resonate with your audience, creating deep connections with them. And so when it is time to buy, you're the first thing that they consider. Yeah, that, um, what you're touching on right there is actually something I think is a massively under-respected and undervalued asset within a business. I was just talking with a founder earlier today, and she is like the thought leader within regulatory compliance, which you know makes me want to fall asleep immediately. But like she's built a super solid business around this because people want to hear her speak. She was had a consultancy 
ultimately spun it out into a, a, a software org that she's now growing and scaling. But like if she she puts out a, a you know a quick little vlog or whatever you call quick recorded content these days on a Friday and it goes to 10,000 people that inherently trust her and she gets like a 90% engagement rate with that piece of content because they actually, you know, she knows what they care about. She knows what the hot button topic is to your point. Like that she's built that trust, like that, that trust is the new data I think is, is absolutely, you know, where everything is kind of heading to. And I think these days you'd be, if I was a young marketer, like that's what I would look for in a company I was going to join. Like, are, is there an individual or group of individuals there that like have captured the mindset of of that space that you know where, where that solution serves? Um, because that's what enables you know their job as a marketer and certainly you know search SEO audience building like that that's just going to become such fundamental table stakes in order to market that solution to that that particular you know space vertical whatever it happens to be. So how does I'm curious though when you as that gets to become, you know, more of, uh, you know, it starts to get, have legs and, and companies start to adopt that more as a, a must have. Is there a tipping point to that, to where, to, to where you say like, yeah, you are now starting to build an audience versus, you know, your, your five buddies that, you know, are, are monitoring their inbox for your, for your content, or is it just the fact that you are thinking in that direction? Oh man. That's a good question. No one's ever asked me that before. Before I answer that, like one, love re highly regulated spaces. Just like if I was to start a software company today, not that I have any business doing that, but I would look for like very sticky product and then building that for a highly regulated space, like the Airtable banks. Like I just love that format. And like we work with one company that does international taxation. People can't like people need to subscribe to their newsletter. They need to be an audience member because they have the updates on when things are changing in various countries. And it's just like, it is not only is it, do you learn stuff and can improve on your job of being an audience member, but they give you critical updates that are going to impact how you function from a compliance standpoint. Love, love highly regulated spaces. They're great to operate in and build an audience in. Um, I'd say really like when your audience starts doing the work for you is when I think you have an audience going on. So it's like, if you look up at where the signups come from and it comes from people forwarding the email to other people, like that is what I'm talking about. Or like, you get massive distribution for your sub stack or whatever because, you know, uh, Chamath or like SaaS CFO shared it out on their like weekly newsletter. Like when people start amplifying your audience for you and your content for you that is designed from like an email capture perspective, I think that is really when you actually have an audience versus, yeah, your five buddies who give you lots of encouragement or like, I think like it's very cringe when you go to like a LinkedIn post and you see it's like 26 people shared it all from the same company of the person who posted it. Like there needs to be a mix of people that are, and it's like, you can astroturf that a little bit, but it's, it's, everyone knows it now. It's like, there's no, there's no hiding. Like when, you know, 26 people from company A also thumbs up the VP's post. But um, I think when you get momentum, that is not you pushing the ball forward, but the ball just kind of goes on its own and people want to engage with it and share it. That's when I think you have an audience starting to take off. And that's when I think you should dump a lot more resources into it. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, you're talking about uh, LinkedIn and the cringy everyone from your company followed up. I heard about this and I didn't even know it was a thing. And then I started to, uh, not that specifically, but this concept of pods. Have you heard of this? Where there's like pods of influencers, I'm in air quotes for those of you who are just listening, who like have a pact, like this social pact that they're going to go comment and like and stuff. They're, they're a little pod of stuff to amplify it. 
have you heard of this? Like it, it blew my mind that people were actually putting energy into this. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think if you look up the whole broetry phenomenon on, uh, on LinkedIn, the main person behind it, I believe got banned from LinkedIn. Uh, I'm not gonna, yeah, yeah. Cause he was gaming the system. Um, and I think like, it's just, it's interesting to me too, because like any mass, like if you're astroturfing it with a bunch of like pods or whatever, I could, I, like if you're trying to sell eBooks for starting your own small business or like buying a, I don't know, like a car wash or a laundromat or something like that, where it's just like, oh, anyone with passive income looking to get out of the work world, here's my thing. Sure. But like, I don't want a general audience. I want like the 5,000 accounts that can buy my yeah, product. Super and, yeah. So it's like, and I think that there's this issue with online influencers that like in order to continue growing, they have to get more and more general. But like the real alpha on the internet is like so esoteric and niche that it can't get algorithmically boosted because not enough people are into it. And that's why, again, like why owning an audience is really important or owning your audience is really important versus like getting it through rented channels like LinkedIn or SEO or PPC or whatever, where you're paying or posting and then it goes away quickly. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure that people are going to cheat the system, but I'd say like, if your entire go to market is based on like, we got these pods and like we brokered deals and they're going to like our stuff. Like you are so screwed. Like you need to be good enough that people want to seek you out. Let alone like, so the idea of like having to pay people or whatever it is, whatever they like handshake deal it is to like yeah. sums up like you are, you're so you're so if that's your growth strategy, you're, you're toast now, like you should pack it in. Um, and if it could work, if you're just like, here's how to do a good podcast, or here's how to do like a tactic that anyone in business and on go to market side would need to do. But like that, I don't really understand how that brings in revenue in any real way, other than like you get their email and then you force feed them offers. So I'd say like, be like, I don't know, real ones get found out online. Like people can grow in Twitter very, very quickly, like when they start. And I think, um, it's, it's weird cause he's, he's anonymous. So I don't know his actual name, but like SAS CFO great twitter handle he took mainly posts about like being a cfo and finance stuff and like how to how to read a pnl he he's got thousands and thousands of followers and i think he's been around for like three or four months maybe it's been a little bit longer but like he skyrocketed through social because he had something meaningful to say and he said it's a niche yeah it is but like how yeah. many people have to learn about finance to run a SaaS business a lot so and he is getting in front of like the exact same people that i generally want to get my customers in front of so i think that um if you do actual stuff that's worth engaging with and, and pr provide content that is worth building an audience around or that audiences want to form around this idea of like a voting pod or, you know, buying links or whatever, whatever weird, sh what, whatever weird stuff you want to do in the back end, it doesn't, it, it just, it, it does not matter because you're going to get your clock cleaned by someone who can do it authentically. Yeah, for sure. Well, so that authenticity, you, you kind of touched on this earlier. There's this whole concept of communities and you're talking about audiences. I'm, I'm sure there's a difference, but authenticity seems to be the calling card of communities, right? So talk to us a little bit about that and how you see that being different. Yeah. I mean, I'd say um, one of the more successful communities I've seen recently was one called Traffic Think Tank. It is like in the SEO space. They just sold to SEM Rush for what I'm guessing is a pretty healthy amount of cash. Uh, shout out to uh, Nick Eubanks and Matthew Barbie and Ian House for that one. That was a that was a very nice win on their side. Um, that is a closed community, and it is very it is amazing. I am in there, and if I have like a weird issue with Google Tag Manager or some esoteric thing, I can drop a question in there, and someone's like, "Oh, that's actually my entire career 
This is what I specialize in. I am the community member that like knows all about this. Let me solve this problem for you. Like it's a, it's amazing. It's like 110 bucks a month or something. It's a great, it's a great community. It's closed. And the same thing with like, when we hear about like, um, various venture firms that we work with, they may have like a community for their portfolio companies. That's also private. And I think that is where a lot of good information is being solved. Audience though, typically has both like, a like a in your inbox, but also online. And it usually isn't closed off until that you have to belong to and be a part of, like it is more like of a broadcast than where I'd say community is like literally people communing and communicating with each other. And there's no like set. I have this message. I broadcast it this way. You receive it. It's a back and forth constantly between all the nodes where it's like one to many nodes with an audience. So I'd say there's more of like a broadcast versus two-way street of communication or many-way street communication with a, with a community. I think audience can then feed your community. And like we work with a, a brilliant company, Lattice. Um, they are so good at content and brand. They have a very powerful community that HR leaders go to and join. And, um, you know, you find that through being an audience member. And I, I don't think I've ever, like community is also, like, there's, there's, I got Slack open on a screen over here. There's a lot of old Slack rooms that I never go to that I was invited to because it was like the hot new community. Community is a ton of work. I think it's potentially more work than building uh, an audience through like broadcast and email. But um, I think that there's no one I would sign up for. There's no site that I would go to and just be like, well, I want to be, a, I know I want to be a community member. Like there, there's, there's a level of trust that goes with that. So I think probably first it's like visitor, then potentially audience member. And then once there's enough loyalty and you're like, I want more of this and I'm getting a lot of value and I want to meet other people who are getting the same type of value and have the same ideas and problems that I do. That's when you probably upgrade to being a community member. Not saying community is like a necessary thing to have. I don't think it's right for all companies. Just like, I don't think building an audience is right for all companies, but um, I'd say it's almost like a, an elevated or like next step level of commitment there. So in terms of, again, SEO is just such a, a crazy space because I feel like it has both massive expectation and also at the same time, very little expectation in terms of like tangible result. So I'm curious, like organizations that are doing this correctly, they're taking the time, they've got something unique to say, you know, they're, they're, they're putting it out in an intentional manner that, that is technically correct as well. What have you seen out there just in terms of like, phenomenal result because I'd, I'd love to have some examples on like yeah if you do it right like there there are some really tangible rewards at the end of that rainbow yeah i mean i mean my favorite thing is to, to for rewards is revenue um i think it's it's interesting we work with one cmo and uh she straight up was like i don't want to see traffic in any reports i don't care about traffic traffic doesn't grow this business revenue grows this business and i was like i i agree um, so we have to work with the data team there to uh, combine their their web and product analytics with their Salesforce data to basically be able to do attribution. And I think like this does get tougher, especially as the sales cycles get longer, doing attribution gets harder and harder. That being said, HubSpot, that product has come so far in the last 10 years. Their attribution data, when you start looking in, like pulling attribution reports, you can see the interaction URL. Just being able to tie like what deals touched this page through organic search. That's a really like, it's very rare nowadays that like one single touch is going to get a deal. And like we have seen uh, a few things where it's like, oh, this person came in off this page. They closed very quickly. And it's like, oh, they were 
that account, that was a previous account. Like they worked with us and they went to a new company and like they wanted to be right back on board. And I was like, oh, well, that's not even really our deal. Uh, so I think um, looking at attribution data is really important. And, and I think um, a lot of SEO folks that I've worked with or other SEO agencies that I have partnered with in the past when I was in-house, they're really focused on like, how many links did we get? How many pages are live that are ranking for terms? How many keywords do they rank for? I've never seen a go-to-market leader be like, how many keywords do we rank for? I've, I've seen them ask about like, do we rank for this thing that I really care about or how are we ranking or are we growing? But never like the, the weird metrics that SEO people get into, I just do them such a disservice. And I feel like that's why this channel has a seat at the kids table when it comes to the go-to-market party. And um, it's once you can align yourself to revenue, like we sent an update to one customer uh, last month, we are going for renewal right now. So I was trying a little bit harder. I was like, hey, here's the 20 accounts that have touched the content that we've worked on together. And some of those are pretty darn big where it's like, hey, if we close that, that covers our cost for a year out. So um, and I'd say the thing, though, is also like I like to align myself to pipeline more than close one revenue. I think if a rep qualifies a deal and makes it an opportunity, that is on them to close it. There's a lot of things that can happen post becoming an opportunity that can lead to a deal not getting closed. Now, if none of the opportunities that are generated through SEO close might point to a bigger problem. But I think being beholden to can the reps close this, especially as a vendor where I'm not in the org and I have no say over how sales are being done or, or how the lead handoff functions, I generally like to uh, make our North Star pipeline that it like qualified pipeline generated through SEO traffic. And I like to use a multi-touch model where if they do a lot of other stuff, it takes away from that number. Um, we have a, a case study with Lattice that we put out and we were able to, over the course of nine months, uh, be able to identify 3.2 million in, in pipeline through a multi-touch model. And what that model did though, is anytime they went to a page that wasn't one of the um, couple hundred SEO pages that we've identified, it ate away at that number and it reduced that number. So if they you know, went to you know, 50 webinars, but they came in off of an SEO page, that 50 webinars that they went to, that's more driving the deal forward than that one SEO visit. It may be first touch, but like, and there's some value in looking in first touch, but I, I think linear attribution or multi-touch attribution really matters because every touch matters. And if you're just looking at like, oh, how was the intro made? But then the, the intro got in the way of 50 webinars or 50 webinars came after the, it's more the webinars doing the work, I think. So that's why I really like a, a multi-touch model to look at pipeline and with tools like Visible or Ramp Metrics or HubSpot even, which like I'd say there is some limitations with HubSpot reporting compared to like the straight up attribution point solutions. Um, you can really figure out like, am I helping drive this business forward with content or are we just like doing a lot of activity that is leading to maybe some form fills, but not a lot of pipeline. Like if you're just driving bad leads all day, that's a net negative you. And it's like, and I, and it's, it's why we can talk about, we can dovetail into PLG and why I have some issues with that as well. Cause you can drive a lot of accounts that never actually do anything once they sign up for the product. Um, I think it really needs to be aligned to like, are we creating real measurable value with accounts that are more than single seats that are going to renew and drive business forward for the long term. And if you can align yourselves to, um, that's also why we don't really work with like self sign up focused businesses. We almost only work with sales assisted or sales led businesses is, are we driving deals that the sales team gets excited about wants to close and is closing? So if you can align yourself to that through tools that aren't SEO tools, like, you know, I got a lot of love for AHRFs. So we spend plenty of money on them. They are not going to be able to help us instrument 
uh, really like, are we driving revenue forward? That's going to come with working with the RevOps team. So I think that's why it's really important to be able to speak to both RevOps folks and to data folks, because if they're sending everything to a data warehouse, you're going to need to help them. Like they're not just going to be like, oh yeah, give us the pages and then like, we'll figure it out. Like no one, every data team I've ever worked with is very bogged down, has 50 other priorities than what the vendor is asking for. And same with like a RevOps team, like their time is literal more money. Like the more time they spend on the business, the more money the business is going to make. So if you give them an ask that is like hard to implement and isn't clear, it's just not going to happen. So I think learning to speak the languages of RevOps and the data team to get the data that you need and put that in a dashboard so you can see like, hey, that post that we wrote about this topic, that enterprise deal came in off that, then went to a webinar, submitted a lead form, and then they got into a deal cycle. But you need to be on that level of visibility with how you're driving the business forward or else you're going to keep being relegated to uh, to the kids' table. Yeah, totally. yeah, I mean, you just said exactly what I was going to say as a follow-up, which is like that narrative and that conversation is just so incredibly different than getting a report every 30 days in your inbox to your point where it's like, hey, here's the links that we got. Here's the traffic, you know what I mean? Which I'm sure we've all been on on the receiving end of that uh, terribly ineffective <laughs> SEO report. Well, JH, I really appreciate the time today, like tons of, of great information there, like couldn't agree more with with the approach that you guys are taking and and uh to your point earlier the biggest cheat ever is is certainly going to be having something to say and finding a way to to reliably build an audience ar around that narrative so hey if people want to get a hold of you or, or or learn more about what you guys are doing where can they go yeah uh growthplays.com if you want to uh talk about a potential engagement if you just want to hang out online i spend most of my time on twitter i find it a lot more fun than linkedin um, so I'm JHT Shirk on Twitter and uh, growthplays.com if you want to reach out about working together. And thank you guys for having me. Really appreciate it. Great job. Yeah, for sure. R really enjoyed it. All right. For Josh and I, thanks again for joining us on this episode and we'll see you next time.